You're a hard icon. You're a hard icon. Yeah, whatever that's bi-directional or I don't know. No, it's not. Are you enjoying your flowers? <laughs> yeah, they, as you saw, I put them. I, I put them next right to the in. real flowers. Couldn't even the real tell plants. which one were the Lego ones. I know. My mom couldn't even tell when when she saw them at first. <laughs> she, she saw them and I showed them. I was like, "Look, these are flowers that uh, Patrick and his mom got me." <laughs> She's like, "What?" Happy Mother's Day. She's like, "You're listening to the John Chi Show, hosted by three Korean American adoptees diving headfirst into what it means to be adopted." Korean, American, and more. And now, here's your hosts, Nathan, Patrick, and KJ. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the John G. Show for another week. I am one of your hosts, Patrick Armstrong, here with both of my co-hosts, KJ Relke and Nathan Nowak. How are you boys doing today? Long pause. <laughs> I thought you were just going to say long, and I'm like, I don't know what that means. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't thought know. KJ looked pensive on that, so I was oh, for I context. Was actually, I, was just, gonna, I was leaving it open for him. Yeah, I was looking up at you because you're up here. Oh, so. it looks like you're looking off to yeah at your screen, not paying know. attention to us. It's <laughs> good, actually. Uh, I'm doing well. No, I'm I'm tired, and uh, it feels like the morning, even though it's like basically noon my time. So, and I've been awake for many hours at this point. So, have you been working? Yeah. Yeah. Working right that now. Might be why you're tired. <laughs> well, for context, we literally just decided to jump on not two five minutes, minutes ago, ago. <laughs> <laughs> to make sure that we had an intro where we were all together, <laughs> unlike two episodes ago where none of us were here except for KJ. KJ, so, KJ, and KJ. KJ, KJ, and KJ, but this time it's KJ plus two other guys that are usually here. Um, <laughs> for those of you who may be joining us for the very first time, we are the John Chi Show because we are three Korean adoptees who like to share their experiences about that experience, and we also celebrate each other in our shared cultural heritage, and we do that by feasting on some snacks or some drinks or some other things at the end of the show. And in Korean, John Chi means to celebrate and or feast. I think it's just celebrate, but we like to feast. Oh, it's the feast. Okay. (laughs) I like to be ambiguous with the meaning. That's my reclamation of Korean language is that I'm making up the meanings to the words that no one knows who really knows what anything means in Korean. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, everything it's, it's ambiguous. I kind of like a made up language actually. So does that mean uh, then that John John Chi noodles are feast noodles? Yes. Oh, okay. Huh. Still have not had them. So. I'm not going to put that in. I'm not going to do the soundboard for this, but I just put that in there <laughs> to wow. cheer Nathan on. Thank you. Oh, for context. Um, let's not waste any time. Nathan, who are we talking to today? We have a guest this week. Yes. Um, so this has been uh, one that we have been waiting to have on because of, um, how do I explain it? A few months ago, we decided to open up our show to all adoptees, uh, transnational, uh, transracial adoptees, not just Korean adoptees. And uh, so um, Annika Falcone-Youngert was our one of our applicants. And so we reached out and uh, she graciously was available last minute. And uh, she's a Chinese adoptee and has an excellent story, something that I think um, some of us uh, Korean adoptees also relate to 
on a parallel level. And uh, I think that was really great to have um, her on and to start opening our show to, to uh, you know, a, a different, uh, I don't know what you call it, a different crowd, different demographic. I don't know. You know what I'm saying. More people. More people. More, people. Yeah. More, more stories. More people with stories. Exactly. <laughs> more worldviews. We're excited. It was, yeah. we it was are, really fantastic having Annika on. Yes, we are excited. Anything, KJ, that you want to share with the listeners that you took away from the conversation before we dive in? Um, we really get into it, but uh, she just has such a unique like worldview. Uh, and, and I think hearing her talk about her life and, and what's shaped her really like gave me some new revelations about how we describe ourselves, what forms us, what shapes us things that honestly, things I probably knew at one point and then forgot. But, uh, yeah, it was just interesting to, um, to hear that and, and be able to, to, like think through that for myself. So yeah, it was just a, it was just a good good conversation, and she has so many like points of intersectionality that make it really unique. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I it reminded me of our conversation where you brought up you know being so hyper focused on one thing that we miss other things. I'm mm-hmm. like I felt like when I was thinking about her story and listening to her share that it reminded me how we can be in this community specifically so hyper focused on our own experiences. Um, and how we navigate those that we miss other people's. And, you know, that's one of the reasons we do the show. So excited to share this conversation with Annika Falcone-Youngert right now. Welcome back to the John Chi Show. We are here for our interview and a very special interview this time because well, all the times we've had special interviews. So let me let me. Let me just start over with that part. <laughs> we are very honored to have uh, have you here, uh, Annika. This is, uh, I guess, we've opened our doors to uh, all adoptees. Would you say we've opened our borders? <laughs> doors. I said doors. Oh, there we go. Wow. <laughs> very timely. Yeah. And um, and actually, uh, Annika, we met at uh, um, Con, last, uh, Con year. last year. Mm-hmm. So, um, and we, you applied to be on the show, but then, you know, we, we, uh, just, it, at the time it, uh, we weren't, we were only accepting Korean adoptees. So, um, now, um, here you are and we are very proud and happy to have you here. So, um, with every show, I haven't done an intro in a while, uh, every, <laughs> every show we usually start with your adoption story. So I'm excited to hear your adoption story. So if you'd like, you can tell us as little or as much as you'd like to. As little as much as I'd like to. I've been thinking about this a lot, actually. Um, it's interesting because last week I did a research interview, and I had two, like, one hour and a half sessions, and we basically just well, kind of went over my adoption story, but just went in detail and everything. So, like, my brain mm. is so fresh, I guess, which is very That's interesting. Um, okay, so... It's interesting because my adoption story, I think, is actually kind of short. And then everything after that, there are just so many things that happened after my adoption that I think formed how I understand my adoptee identity and then, like, a bunch of other identities and life experiences. Um, But to sum it up, I was part of the one-child policy, I'm assuming, um, where it was favorable to have, you know, a son to pass on the family name. So I come from Tongling, Anhui province, and I think I was adopted between seven and nine months old, and I moved um, to 
the Bay Area, Northern California, and I was adopted by two white adoptive moms. Um, and I had an older adopted brother. And so I grew up living around there, around Asian and white folks. Um, and then for college, where did I go? I went to Southern California um, in Los Angeles and um, went back to the Bay Area for COVID. That was the time. Um, <laughs> but now I'm still living in, I went, went back to Southern California. So that's where I currently am. Um, in terms of my adoption story, dang. I hear a lot of both mostly Chinese and Korean uh, American adoptees that talk about what it's like to grow up in like surrounded by just white folks. And I think I was very lucky in the sense that I grew up in, I guess, enough of a diverse, but also around like white and Asian culture. So, yeah, like. I was around whiteness and white people, but also I grew up in a few households that were Asian. Um, mm. So with all the culture and stuff, I've never really felt like it wasn't mine, but like it is and it isn't. But when it comes to comes to like reculture, reculturalization, or like trying to find that cultural part of my adoptee side was never really a problem. And then my moms, like they showed me the Chinese school when I was little. And I was like, I just don't want to do it. <laughs> um, so like, I, I don't quit. want more school right now. No, yeah, I just quit. And then I quit everything else they tried to put me in. So, <laughs> um, no, no. Yeah. Do you remember any of that? Of which? The the school? Yeah, just the, uh, like, Mandarin's use, use it hard. at all. Or, no, it's. No, Mandarin's hard. I just ended up <laughs> taking Spanish. So it was like oh, Spanish, no. French, or Mandarin. And I was like, I'm going to do Spanish. <laughs> Because <laughs> my brother did it, and then my cousin, I think she teaches ESL, and she did for a very long time. Um, and then, yeah, and then at my job now, I speak Spanish. So mm. that, that works out pretty well. Nice. Um, dang. I think there are a lot of other things I can say, but I just don't know where to go. Yeah. That's, oh, that's great. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. That's, a, um, again, like I said, it's, we're, we're always, you know, interviewing Korean adoptees, but this is a chance for us to listen to uh, Chinese adoptee sides and to hear if there's, you know, similarities, parallels, um, mm. differences. And I think, uh, you know, we've had a couple guests from California, and mm -hmm. uh, that, that I think that some of the things they've said is that there is kind of a diverse world there, but also still kind of um, being grown up in in um, a white um, environment. Mm, and so, um, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean. I think it's very interesting because I always wondered what it would have been like to, to you know, to grow up in California since I lived there for so long. Um, mm -hmm. I have a question. Mm -hmm. um, when, since you, it seems like you, like you said, you were exposed and, and had and able to engage in culture a lot. So that didn't really make up a lot of your journey. Mm -hmm. When did or what prompted you to start exploring or navigating your adoptee identity a little bit more? Definitely college. I feel like I hear that a lot from people. Um, I knew it was interesting because culturally I understood and was told like you are our Chinese daughter I was like okay so that was never like a question I always mm -hmm. knew I was adopted like I had two moms they taught very early I was just like people have a mom and a dad and I was like okay how are babies <laughs> born and then they straight up told me my brother were like oh and also like 
we were Asian, they were white. We were like, okay, you're two women. Yeah. <laughs> we're a different <laughs> race. Yeah. This isn't how things work. Um, so I was new. Um, but I don't think I really explored it that much. I was very angry as a kid. Um, cause I knew that they weren't my, my moms were not my quote unquote real parents. Mm. Um, but when it came to like exploring, I never really did until college. Um, and that's, I think when I first watched one child nation, the documentary mm. made by not an adoptee, but, um, a woman from China, I think who could have been definitely, well, she was impacted by the one child policy. She had a younger brother, um, and, um, it was kind of interesting to be like, oh, she could have been, you know, one sure. of the daughters that was taken. Um, and I started um, looking. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Really quickly, as Nathan said, you know, we usually talk to Korean adoptees, and you've mentioned it twice. So I was hoping you could give our listeners just a really quick definition of what the one-child policy is. Um, just because I just I don't know who may know or not know. And myself, I feel like I know, but I may not know, and I don't want to explain it incorrectly. So, <laughs> honestly, the the most I know from it is from the documentary uh, "One Child Nation," where there was a policy I think in the seventies or eighties that was enacted where there was so much overpopulation in China that the government um, had to enforce like only having one child. Mm. Um, so to pass on the family name, right? It was given to the son. So it was more favorable to get rid of um, all the girls. So when it comes to like seeing Chinese adoptees, you see most of them, I feel like the oldest I've seen are like maybe their thirties. Um, mm. And they're all like, there are a lot of girls out there <laughs> yeah. because you know, we weren't the ones who were going to pass on the name. Um, so I think it's that expensive policy. That's what I know. Um, yeah, awesome. is, that still, yeah. is it still around? So I think in 2015, there was the two-child policy because they realized, oh, snap, we need Maybe we should women. stop shipping girls out. Yeah, <laughs> not right. too, But I think they, they saw a trend also in the population, but I'm not sure. I don't know if it's still going. It was so interesting to see the propaganda. It was so scary. Like, it's so, the just having one child, the, the one-child nation shows, like, all the all of the propaganda so well, it's freaky deaky. And then, then they, at the very end, it's very interesting. Cause it says, Oh, now we can have two, like two is the desirable amount. Mm. And it's just so crazy because you see, like, I think the producer's grandfather, like, cause he had to like live and see like the overpopulation. And then he saw the propaganda with the one child policy. Then all of a sudden it's two at the very end of the thing. And you're like, <laughs> <laughs> a whole new set of things. Well, I appreciate you. I appreciate you uh, defining that for our audience. Uh, and I apologize for interrupting. I just wanted to pop in with that really quickly. Um, and now I don't remember where I interrupted you at. Where oh, in college. They, after to... having watched One Child Nation. Yes, yeah. that's what it was. It was really interesting um, because I was like, okay, there's a whole... Like, yes, I am one person, and this is my unique story with the one-child policy. But if you take multiple, you start seeing patterns. And I was taking sociology at the time, and my mind was expanding. Like, I don't know. Like, it was a sponge soaking in everything. Mm. And so it's really interesting for me, and still now, to view, like, the individual or the concept of what it means to be an individual person. Because... If you look at 
you know, one story. Nothing is like that story. But if you piece together a bunch, you start seeing patterns. Um, so then I found someone who was also, I don't know if she was internationally adopted, but she was a transracial adoptee and she was doing her senior project on her, not her, well, her adoption, but also like adoption in general. And I was like, mm-hmm. you could research yourself or like, you could do that. Like, that's cool. Just <laughs> <laughs> like, about this now? <laughs> yeah. And then, so I got a fellowship and I never finished because I left school during COVID and I still don't have my bachelor's degree, which I think is very, it's a very interesting place to be in right now. Um, but, um, is it? So I made my research project at the time. My question was how do transracial adoptees, um, show their identity on social media? Um, mm. and that was during Black Lives Matter. And that was when everything was online. And that was when I was like, really like, it was very self-reflective time. And I was like, okay, there has to be some way to make my research like actionable or like it has to connect to this because things are happening. The world is happening. Right. And it was really interesting because the first I had this whole identity thing, man. <laughs> um, what was I doing? I think I first asked, like, one of my friends, like, why is it important for me to, like, identify as an adoptee? And then wh- where do I fit as an adoptee also in relation That's to... That's a great question. Holy cow. This social social movement. Like, okay, as an adoptee. That was the only thing I did, like, as an adoptee. But I think at the same time, I was like, okay, how do I do it? as an Asian American adoptee, like that's Mm. specific, like I have to, and I was like, it's like Shrek and the onions and layers. (laughs) I kept kept adding the layers. I was like, okay, wait, so there's Asian American, but in certain spaces, what does it mean for me to be like a transracial Asian American adoptee in relation to my project in relation to this movement? Mm. And I was like, wait, 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 okay, there's more. (laughs) I was like, Okay, what does it mean for me to be a, like a queer transracial adoptee in a relationship, yep. whatever? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and I think it's interesting. Well, you mentioned queer eye, but I also watched a documentary, Disclosure, which talks about the history of transgender folks in media. Mm. And after I watched it, I cried. It was just, there was just so much. There's so much in that. I just don't know how to say it. But yeah, when I watched it, I looked over at my friend and I was like, am I the gay friend? Am I the queer friend? She's like, no, you're just a friend. And I was like, oh, I got a lot of work to do. <sighs> um, so where I'm at, like when talking about trying to circle back, finding out like, why is my adoptee identity important? I was like, okay, that's not just this. It's like this in combination with the intersectional identities um, that you can't see. Um, right. So, I, it depends on the space. Sometimes I do say I'm international. Sometimes I do say I'm Chinese. Um, but most of the time, I identify as a queer transracial adoptee because it's okay. broad enough to encompass the queerness. There are specific identities that I identify with the queer community, which is pansexual and demisexual. They usually say queer. And then transracial adoptee because I think... 
the experience of a transracial adoptee is having white adoptive parents. And I feel like that's just very, there's so much there. And I think it encompasses a lot. And that's what I want to do in terms of like advocating for those identities um, and myself, I guess, and my story. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, We just talked about the power in being able to name what you are about and who Mm -hmm. you represent. And I love the idea of claiming it as uh, particularly as transracial adoptees because like it is more broadly associative than just being a Korean adoptee or an Asian adoptee specifically. And at the end of the day, that's fine. If that's what you're, if that's who Mm -hmm. you're advocating for and you're working with them, like this podcast has historically been a Korean adoptee one. And now we're broaching out into more broadly Asian American adoptees. And, you know, we can start to say that now as we have more of those voices on and we Mm -hmm. do that work to bring that in. And I think there's also that power in being able to specifically name those broad intersections that you are wanting to work within. And so Mm -hmm. I like the way that you named that. Um, You mentioned how when you started to have conversations with other adoptees, Mm -hmm. like when you you first started to interrogate your own story, you're like, okay, this is a thing that I experienced. And then you were like, you talk to other people and you're like, oh, I'm starting to see patterns here. Oh, yeah. I think that's really interesting. And I wanted to ask you what patterns you've seen. Because we, I think, as we have started to tell stories and done now 130 episodes, like that's what we have seen. Like all of our stories, like you said, very individual, all mm-hmm. of our, each our own. But there are themes and, and through lines that run through that connect us and connect us and, and make our, our experiences resonant. So I'm wondering what patterns that you have seen. Generally, I've seen that a lot of people, it's a lot of people seem interested in in learning about their birth culture which is yeah i mean that's where we were born um and but it's hmm. there's a lot of growing up around whiteness white standards or white people or both and then figuring mm-hmm. out okay this is what it means for me to be either like chinese korean whatever um and then i don't know I personally want to see it move more beyond that because that's what I also saw in research where it was a lot about just exploring the culture, which I think is, I don't think much of it because I didn't have to do it. Right. Um, But that's where a lot of research is and stays. Um, And that's what I also see in how people talk about their stories because they're trying to process like, oh, dang, like, these are all these things I could have had. It's a loss. Right. It's, you know? Yes. Um, and there's a lot of the exploration of that nuance and loss. I have to say, yeah. I see a lot of. Um, I think you view it through such an interesting lens of having already been culturalized and racialized and not, or maybe not, but like having more of that experience than a lot of transracial adoptees do. And then mm-hmm. you come to this work and you see the community and you're like, you see so much of that. Because I'm mm-hmm. like, I fall into that group that you're observing that mm-hmm. is like needing that culture, <laughs> like trying to uncover that loss. I'm like, where is it? And like, yeah. that's who you're viewing. And I think that's so interesting because I feel like that's not a perspective that we hear from a lot in the community and yeah. specifically transracial adoptees. I've yeah, looked. following up on that. Oh, oh go sorry. Ahead. No, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, um, well, 
<laughs> I just I had a question because you mentioned like growing up in in uh, South Carolina, South Carolina, South, <laughs> Southern California, <laughs> other SC, uh, Southern California, and then the Bay Area, and then back mm-hmm. to Southern California, and t- and being like racialized in like pretty diverse white or Asian spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, was your slash is your experience as like an Asian American like? broadly asian american is it specific to chinese culture at all like because i'm like in those areas i feel yeah. like it could be like it could be kind of like that kind of hodgepodge mm-hmm. asian american culture and it totally could be like deeply chinese american culture That's other true. than chinese yeah. school i guess no one has yeah. asked me that question. <laughs> no one has asked me that question i think that's really cool um i grew up i think it's a mix like asian american because i grew up i mean i had Friends that were Chinese, I had Chinese parents, so I feel like I got the secondhand, like, do well in school. We kind of have the, no, they did, they had the immigrant experience, so, like, I kind of got waves of, like, I wasn't their kid, but, like, they treated me like the kid. Um, So, definitely the Chinese-American one. I had sort of a Filipino one, and then a Laos, like, influence. Mm -hmm. Um, But then I also grew up with this random like a friend who spoke french at home with her mom like she they were white and french and so i just grew up around that um i think i think it's mainly mainly yeah like chinese um i don't think i got a lot of like vietnamese or japanese or anyone else any others um yeah not pacific islanders i don't think Mm. um but I was around the food, I think. Yeah. Like that's like the best part. Well, and I think it's interesting too, because like when I hear people talk about, especially like second gen and on Asian Americans, it's usually like, oh yeah, like this culture, like this is what you want to order from like these foods or like, oh, this is like their uh, maybe Lunar New Year tradition as opposed to ours or like, oh, we don't actually don't celebrate Lunar New Year with you know, like New Year's is a big day for us and our culture, you know, like where there's kind mm-hmm. of like a, a more general awareness, um, maybe in the same sense that like white people have a general awareness of like Italian and Irish mm. and yeah. English, you know what I mean? Like those kinds of things, yeah. but it's not like a super specific. Whereas like um, if you, to me, like if you were raised in a, a, a heavily Chinese American influence and you might have like really hyper specific Mm-hmm. references like and touch and points and, with that culture you yeah. know uh so that i guess that's what i ask is like do you think of yourself as like it sounds like from your experience you might think of yourself as more uh just kind of like a global citizen and just be like i don't know there's just like a lot of people in my life and so i just enjoy being a part of all of it versus yeah. like like for me like when i grew up i was looking for i consider myself pretty globalized and mm-hmm. i knew i was looking for something specifically korean mm-hmm. like that was okay important to me even while now i'm like it'd be nice but i'm also like trying to learn four other languages apparently you know what i mean so but i think that that shapes some of those conversations and some of those ways that we wrestle with our identities and the ways that we choose to enter into those intersectionalities like i was raised ethnically korean and then kind of backed into being asian american Mm -hmm. and it sounded like maybe you were raised as like asian american plus chinese american on the side you know some of those kinds of things Uh, i mean i think it also helped in the sense of my moms were lesbians and I was also queer so when it Mm. comes to needing to to a certain extent come to terms with ourselves like as a queer person because everything we see is like heterosexual heteronormative Mm -hmm. whatever and then I think all if you 
like choosing to openly identify first as an adopting as queer, the first thing you see for me, you're not going to see that you're going to see an Asian American yep. or, or like an Asian woman appearing person. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely being queer and adopted have influenced like so much because like people would come up and be like, Oh, you have a mom and a dad. And in my head, I'm like, my whole no my family what is that like you know yeah what's a dad i don't get it <laughs> yeah <laughs> no I, and that was a that was a question that i wanted to ask you too because like i think it's unique that like in school you've done so much research and thinking about yourself in the time that it was in um in like the air like all of those things and then on top of that um having uh it's not, it was a queer sexuality mm-hmm. and your your mom's obviously having like a queer sexuality both being lesbian like what was the the conversation or training not that it would have been like an explicit like usually you're talking yeah. about your identity but like have your mom's been supportive and been helpful in in this identity process as you explore like mm-hmm. not the queer part but like kind of the asian adoptee p- place or has that been like ah uh, it's a it's a different thing you know whatever this is where it gets kind of interesting because, yes, you have, like, your social identities, but also I think experiences are also identities in the sense. Mm-hmm. So, in accepting my queer identity. So, one of my moms passed away when I was 11. Mm-hmm. Um, so, all my memories and stuff, and when it comes to, like, exploring adoptee stuff, I don't remember with her. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, interestingly enough, I'm in no contact with my surviving mother at the moment and it's been about coming on two years um and it's interesting because when I started my research I was living under her roof um and it was also during the rise of Asian hate um that caused a lot of tension because um so I didn't get a chance to talk to her about um how I feel felt about exploring my adoptee identity, I think after my brain kind of started transforming, I'll say. Um, I was going to say something else and I cut myself off. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay, so during Black Lives Matter, we sent each other articles. It was not our experience. Mm. And so we were like trying to understand an experience that wasn't ours. Great. Rise of Asian hate. A little different. You know, yeah. she'd send me articles and I'd be like, um, we can't analyze this the same way. Um, yeah, right. She, I've, I saw posts that were like, our adoptive parents are the perpetrators, or they look like the perpetrators, and we're the ones yes. who are, yeah, being attacked. And I felt relatively safe where I was at, but when I talked to my Asian friends, they're like, I'm scared for my family, and I was like, oh shit! <laughs> I was like, You're like, should I be scared? scared? for myself scared for myself but i was like but i'm not worried about my mom right yeah right and i was just like observing so much information you know seeing all the attacks seeing how like asian americans were like trying to show up for uh one another and i was just there like this is so weird (laughs) and then my mom's sending me this news article and i'm like but then she didn't talk to me about it she would just send me the articles and i'd be like um Mm, this feels a little weird. So when you were sending each other articles about like George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, like that kind of stuff and in, in that like particular wave of the black lives Mo- matter movement in the public conscious, was there further dialogue between you two? 
Yeah, she was like human resources and DEI person, so she was trying to understand, like as a white person, like that was great, yeah. I guess. But when it came to like me, that's um, so interesting. But she she showed me like and told me like you are Chinese, you are my Chinese daughter. Right. Like, she was not colorblind, and I think she was like, I describe her as like, I guess like the best like liberal like white lesbian Jewish advocate, you know. But when it yeah. came to like her own daughter, there was there's a blockage with that. Um, I described it very well. I, there's a poem somewhere. Um, but she has bumper sticker privilege where she had a Biden Harris um, bumper sticker on her car. Uh, she's retired to Texas now. And so we were talking about it when we were still talking. Um, <laughs> she was so bummed. She was like, I got to take the sticker off my car. And I looked at her and I was like, mom, like, you can take the sticker off your car. Like, the first thing people are going to see is that you're like an, a white old lady. Like, <laughs> um, but like, they're not going to see that you're, that you support, like, your, these are your political views or you're actually Jewish or like any of this stuff. Um, and I, but you know, they like Jewish folks and also like queer people have to, you know, go through some, not they have to, but they experience discrimination in a certain way. But Mm-hmm. As a white woman, she doesn't have to tell people she is, and she could take the bumper yeah. sticker off. Right. And I can't take off that I'm Asian American, like unless right. you know, like <laughs> my hair and like change my face or yeah. So that yeah, that, to being in no contact. <laughs> yeah, that's that thing with like the familial tie or bond or whatever saviorism if you want to call it but like it puts up that blinder of where we only see you like i don't see an asian person i just see my son you know yeah. what i mean like yeah. i just see yeah. my kid and it's like okay i get that yeah. but also you have to understand that these other people they don't <laughs> see that they really don't they just see the asian person like and there's like that dissonance like is so hard to cut through because of quote unquote love or what, however you want to frame it. And you know, I'm not like, I'm, I have a good relationship with my family, but it's still like, that's still a bridge that we have to cross. And we've Mm -hmm. had to cross numerous times of just the understanding that while your, while I, while you, while your love is reciprocated and I appreciate it, it doesn't protect me from the racism. It doesn't protect me from the violence or the hate or the discrimination or whatever it is. Like, that's great, but it's not an actual shield. Yeah. Like, yeah. it doesn't, like, that support is great, but it's not, like, it doesn't, it won't save me from somebody pushing me out in front of a train no. or stalking me back into my apartment and murdering me. You know what I mean? Like, it's it goes beyond that and if we can't see beyond that then there's a part of your our humanity that's getting lost in this attempt of translation of of this experience so i don't well, know I and it must really be hard up. for you too <laughs> because like you and i assume your your mother um are both like heteronormative presenting uh and you uh mm-hmm. are you had these conversations about race when it was towards black people. And so there's like two areas where you're like, like we don't have to be loud about being queer. We don't have to be, you know, whatever, like we could get away with some things. Um, and then to not have that same type of 
like learning mentality, maybe support mentality, whatever, uh, when it comes to your personal experience has to be pretty, pretty oh, jarring, was, right? Like, uh, because you've, like, you had yeah. those things, like, it I'm sure terrible. that your moms would have been able to talk to you. Like, I mean, I would hope like there might've been some, maybe some nerves, but like hope that if there was like a coming out moment for you, like, and your sexuality, mm. that that would have been like not a big deal because of mm. your family oh, or like pretty, even. pretty downplayed, you know, but then like, to be like, I, do I have to come out as Asian American to my mom? Mm. Like, is, that a, is that a thing? Because they had more of a connection on that topic or experience. I feel like I never answered yeah. that question, yeah. TJ. I feel bad now. Of the, <sighs> the supporting of my queer identity. No, because you don't have to come out to queer parent Or like, you yeah. don't come out, you're straight. You're not like, you just bring someone home, right? Right. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah, it's like it's probably <clears throat> nothing. Yeah. I, no, I, don't know. I didn't have any, at least for the queer identity. Nothing. Yeah. Um, for adoptee, I mean, they knew. We knew. It was an open conversation all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's what I mean. Is like I think it's hard because like like the same. You know, like your moms are like you're Chinese, and like my parents are like you're Korean. Like that's very easy for everyone to get behind. Uh, but that specific like tint of Asian American is like that's a whole other level that i think is is can be hard for some people to to access and i think that that's mm-hmm. that's where like some of that like that uh cognitive dissonance can come into play probably sounds like for your mom and and certainly for you on the receiving end of that be like yeah. we had all these good conversations and now we're not even talking like what what up i mean okay. something that you just made me think of when you said that is that asian american is inherently a political term that came mm-hmm. to be yeah, exactly. when our parents were probably in their formative years mm-hmm. and yep. then they adopted and then they went through the process of adopting, you know, in the 80s, 90s, 70s, 80s, 90s with that thought in mind and where that dissonance might come from. I, yeah. All right. We got to that's a whole nother episode. We yeah. got to dig into that. Yeah. You just reread <laughs> Making of Asian America, right? So you're yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah that's like, right. I'm <laughs> like, OK. All right. I yeah. see these dots now. That's a welcome, welcome to my brain hole. That's for another episode. Yeah. No, I'm thank you for yeah. for answering my questions. Mm-hmm. And I hope that they weren't ham fisted. I love your questions. Yeah. So during these times, during I, a lot of uh, our guests have talked about during um, you know, COVID and um, they've looked for community, they've looked for online uh, locations for go. discussions, familiarity, just you know, connection. Um, is that what you did? Did uh, did you find a Chinese adoptee community? Because mm. um, I, I would have no clue about any of those. I mean, I know that Khan now accepts, uh-huh. uh, uh, you know, all trans uh, racial adoptees or domestic adoptees and things like that now too. So, which I think is great. But um, yeah, what what did you find? One hundred percent. I was like, I didn't grow up with other adoptees, um, so it was interesting. I never never had an adoptee community. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what I started looking for um, when I was doing my research and online. And so right now, I currently volunteer for CCI, which is China's Children's China's Children's International. And I volunteer for Khan, yeah, for Korean Americans. Um, I specifically went to Khan first because it was Korean adoptees and it wasn't Chinese. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to have to like deal with any of my problems. <laughs> uh, <laughs> As specifically, um, like I knew I would like encounter like adoptees and stuff. I'm like, this is the Korean American adoptee experience. This isn't the Chinese one. So I'm going to give myself some distance. Um, <laughs> but yeah, then I, I was joined like Facebook groups and stuff. Um, 
and then eventually got to be a volunteer for China's Children's International. And I still didn't feel really connected, which was really interesting because they were, it was, um, I feel like, single faceted because it was about being an adoptee. And I was first, when I was doing research, I looked into adoptee activists and I thought that was really cool. But then I realized like in my life, there was, you know, the intersectional identities, um, but also the life experiences. So since a lot of Chinese adoptees are like 30s and younger, they're still living at home or like we're in our 20s or like younger, you know, they're still living at home and they're with their parents. And I'm out here not talking to my, <laughs> not talking to my mom um, and also experiencing the loss of like, I lost my biological parents. I lost an adoptive parent and I don't even know like adults who have lost their parents yet. Like I've only mm-hmm. just recently, Yep. I think I have, Definitely one person who just lost their mother, like, in the last year. But also, I don't know many people who, like, cut off their families either. I do know one adoptee, um, who actually I think she did around the same time I did, which was very interesting. But she has, like, a whole ass family, too. So she had to consider different things when I had to consider myself. So in trying to find adoptee community and, like, connection, I showed up in the spaces, and they were either, like, straight or heteronormative and I'm like, okay, or, you know, (laughs) they're still living at home and they, the way in which they understand family and being financially dependent is so different than paying your own bills, which you guys probably know, but like the types of conversations they were having, they, you know, they're about culture or like other things, but even if they were, I think a bit more like intense or like talking about loss or like nuance and stuff, they're still coming from a very, just having different experiences than I did. And, I just didn't feel like I found many where I found, I think I have one now a little bit um, in BIPOC adoptees, which I think you kind of know about. Um, Wait, is that like a group beyond just like generally like we are all BIPOC adoptees? Mm -hmm. That's like a specific group? Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. (laughs) I was like, do you mean like just... You're like, just buy pocket adoptees? Just buy pocket adoptees in general. Like, is that like the, <laughs> the, the Janshi Show colon, a group of buy pocket adoptees? No, I think right now they were trying to become a nonprofit. I, either they are in the process of becoming actually like a for-profit like entity. Um, mm-hmm. I found them when they were forming like a year ago, right? Mm-hmm. And the I guess one of the founders, Liana, she's great. Yep. Love her. She was just, she got so enthusiastic with me and we just started like this note together and we just kept talking. And then she invited me to an in-person event in Portland, Oregon a few months ago. And it was for BIPOC adoptees and had speakers. I was a speaker. Woo-hoo, that was cool. Um, where like it was for Oregon. So I guess Oregon's really white. I have a very skewed version of Oregon now. It looks very Asian American to me (laughs) because that's the way a lot of people showed up. Um, But then there was like a specific space for transracial adoptees to speak. Um, And that's where I think I found an adoptee space that it's most welcoming to me because the BIPOC experience or like people of color, it's, it's sad (laughs) because the world just, it's not made for us. Um, but like, yeah. and they were older too. So I'm mm-hmm. like talking to adults. I've always gravitated towards talking to people who are older than me. And I think that's because I just experienced 
so much shit. A lot of life. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I need someone who's experienced as much life as yeah. me. And usually that happens the more, yeah, the more you age. Yeah. And that's so, that's, I mean, that's great. I'm, I'm so glad that you found that. And I, I love that you were able to name, like, and be aware of my experiences make it difficult for me to lean into certain experiential mm-hmm. groups, whether that's just being a Chinese adoptee or just being an Asian adoptee or just being a queer adoptee or just being all of those things without the adoptee part or, you know yeah. what I mean? Like those kinds of things. Like, I, I think that that's important. And I think that that's what we found as we kind of like had our big, like adoptee revelation was we were like, okay, so we, we went for all these groups and we we're like, I mean, they're like helpful, but like not quite helpful. And listening to you talk about, your experience with other Chinese adoptees really made me think about, oh, part of it, like for me, was that like a lot of Korean adoptee spaces that I found were actually too old. Like there was like mm. too much history and and like it just like wasn't quite. And so that like lining up of experiences, not just of identities, but of experiences mm-hmm. is really helpful for me to be like, oh yeah, that's, and I, I think that's why, you know, like we always need to be talking about it and always need to be having those conversations. And I think it's great that you were able to find some community that was like, this matches enough of my intersectional identities and my life experience that it can begin to hopefully be a safe space for me. Yeah. Yeah. We don't name the experience part enough in that conversation of being like, that's something that also affects the way I navigate my identities and the way I navigate Mm -hmm. the world. So I really, I do appreciate you naming that because it's so easy for us to just fall into this post-apocalypse like mindset of like oh i'm changed now thinking about my identity differently so like i can just be friends or be in community with everyone and when really it's like not that we're splitting ourselves into different groups intentionally or like uh, because we want to it's just it's literally because i've experienced these things differently than you have or especially if you inhabit multiple intersectional identities like we can't start if I don't inhabit those. I can't sit here and be like, "Oh, I understand that and I get it." I'm like, totally, mm-hmm. yeah, I totally resonate with that. I can completely agree with what you're saying or whatever it is. You know, like that's yeah. just not the case because I don't know what that is. Like, I, I, I don't know what that what it's like, and I can't mm-hmm. define that that way. So, we have to be able to take those things into account just as much as our identities and just as much as anything else. So, yeah, I do appreciate you naming that. I have another question because I think that this probably plays into what you were talking about. Uh, you've mentioned that your mom, uh, at least one of your moms is Jewish. Yes. And in your form, you mentioned that you were raised Jewish. How yeah. has that been in terms of, I mean, moving through the world, but specifically in in your intersectional identities, trying to find those safe spaces? Because I imagine, I mean, I, I know from experience, but like I imagine that a lot of adoptee groups that you found were also very Christian. Yeah, okay. uh, so are you currently religious? Like what's your relationship to religion, to Jewishness, yeah, Jewish culture, I guess? Yeah, all those kinds of things. I'm figuring it out. Um I think <laughs> that's I'm, a great answer. <laughs> I mean, I was I'm figuring, figuring it out. out before. Um, I think more recently because I got into a relationship as I was leaving my um uh, mom's house, and she grew up Catholic, Mexican American Catholic, like straight up. And so, like, we've experienced like two holiday seasons and stuff together. And usually, even when I was growing up, I was like, whenever it was Christmas, I was like, oh, I'm Jewish. Um, <laughs> just cause it's like the, um, 
you know, the another story. Um, I think like I didn't have a bat mitzvah. I didn't get super into it, but like I'd go to Saturday school for Jewish people. I don't know. So I grew up around Hebrew. I grew up around like celebrating. Oh God. The things. <laughs> and now, the holidays. I forget which. I, like, over, I know maybe. the names I and know. I don't want to butcher them. Um, but like, <laughs> but now like moving out and trying to understand like, I did things and went to things because like my mom made me right. But I think even when I went to those things, like we went together, but then we were separated. She went to her like adult thing. I went to the kid thing, um, and I never really I think felt tethered to the religion and faith practice um but it like informs how i still like how i show up because it's what i'm used to um i like when i see anti-semitic things and like when i know Mm -hmm. like jewish things like it's on my radar and then like i sometimes bring stuff up to people because they just don't know if people are jewish or not or like what's going on yeah um but in terms of like, I think practicing now, I've had a few like courses on Buddhism, and I think that's been the most base spiritual based thing that I've gravitated towards the most. I know people have taken like religious studies courses and been like, oh, they're all the same, um, which I kind of want to do because I want to understand as much as possible. But what I think Buddhism has been most interesting to me. I don't yeah. know much about it. I feel like um, I've done, I guess, quote unquote, I feel like I've experienced, quote unquote, like successful meditation when it's been led by someone else. I don't yeah. think I've ever really done it by myself. Um, but I think I, I think I really know my body and mind pretty well is from my like 10 years of experience of martial arts um, because mm. of our, we have a for our black belt test it's supposed to be like three hours of like non-stop movement um and for the first like five years i was like a preteen teenager like you know doing a sport um but definitely for the black belt test like the test itself is the formatting the eight pages of like each page has like 10 20 techniques and then however many kata you have to physically you know be in your best shape but also in your mind um so i think that has a really big impact also on like mind body spiritual yeah yeah no i i I like buddhism as well (laughs) my wedding was actually half buddhist it was half buddhist half christian wedding yeah um and i would i would love to learn more about it as well Mm -hmm. that's Um, something that I'm probably going to keep exploring as I, as holidays keep coming around and also trying to define like, what does it mean for me to celebrate these things around these times with my partner, with what I've grown up with, what she's grown up with. Um, and then what my friends do. We're all, because we all come from different backgrounds and um, what's important to us. Is it, does it come from our parents? Does it come from us? Does it come from our culture? It's like, right. we don't know. And then, we keep trying to we're figuring it out (laughs) yeah absolutely i think that's the beautiful thing about community is Mm -hmm. navigating that stuff i think well because i I say that because i think navigating your identity is so personal it's so like individual journey and to find 
to do that with other people who are also navigating what it means it to be in their identities is just like, oh shit, okay, I'm not alone mm-hmm. in this. Because Never it's just alone. so heavy and it's just like it can it can knock you knock you down and it can be really hard to get back up. And if you don't have people around you mm-hmm. who are not only going through that, but get it and like meet you with empathy instead mm-hmm. of like yeah. sympathy and like lift you up with them or come down and meet you and like, okay, here we go and we'll come back up together. Like it's that's the beautiful thing about it. And I love that you have like people around you who are figuring it out together. It yeah. makes me smile. I think I'm just feeling super emotional from Queer Eye, but <laughs> I'm just like, it made me super happy just to hear you say that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I started, I started gravitating towards, I think these, like surrounding myself with these types of people. I was, you know, in college having like career panels and stuff during COVID. And this one person was like, what did she say? She was like, just find like kind of what you want to do and like move in the direction of that. Mm, Um, And I started, I started following a lot of people on social media because I felt like I had to, I had to diversify my perspectives. But then I realized like, okay, you're not going to vibe with everybody. Don't just follow someone because they're Asian American. Don't just follow someone because they're, Mm -hmm. and then I felt kind of guilty because I was like, I'm going to follow this indigenous person to broaden my perspective. And then I was like, but I actually don't totally resonate with this person like it's just a person yeah i mean you're allowed to not like people (laughs) i've learned that (laughs) i think before i was like yes everywhere everything give me all the perspectives and i was like i'm no (laughs) i can't do that um yeah right so annika what are the next steps for you in your exploration of uh of adoption of of chinese adoptees of all trans you know racial adoptee spaces i mean the communities what, what are you looking for also looking? no further steps is an acceptable answer <laughs> yes, exactly. like, what are you like, looking I'm, or I'm not on looking pause for, for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> um well it's i think i've i see a lot of people i see a lot of adults who are like in their lives who are like this is my job and this is what i really like to do and they're separate i'm like okay, that's me right now. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I only have a high school diploma. I have like maybe like 60 college credits. Um, can't really, like not even two years of office experience. I'm, I'm a baby. Um, <laughs> but I think, I think my future with is some type of organizing. It would be nice if it's around identity. Um, organizing of people and community coalition building that's very vague but i think in with bipoc adoptees um Mm -hmm. whether it be a job whether it be volunteer i've never not never i really liked seeing how the event in portland oregon happened because everyone who went who i heard from they were like i just heard about it from either tom or liana like these two people and i was like okay So I want to be these two people. Yeah, manifest that. Um, And I know both of them, they're great. They're amazing. Like, I think that's what I want to do. Um, And there's BIPOC adoptees that's doing it. I want to be able to give people the space to feel like they can be messy and like try to start understanding like what matters to them. Um, I was given that space, I think, with my martial arts instructor that I had when I was going for my black belt. Mm. But then I found that in just people. When I started talking to people, I started networking super hard <laughs> in higher education. <laughs> um, and I met 
you know, adoptive researchers, some who have been on the podcast. I met like just people of color, women of color who are like, I never saw myself here. I now want to give that space to other people. Um, yeah. That's, that's what I want to do. Um, don't know how all of it's going to happen. It would be nice to get paid for it. That's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we trying to make it happen. We trying yeah. to make it happen. I love it. I absolutely yeah. love it. Supporting you and rooting for you and however that, however I personally, and hopefully the show can help make that happen. I think that's a hundred percent what we need. And that's where my motion is going as well. Yeah. Uh, lovely Anna, uh, had a great conversation with her the couple weeks ago and excited to work with her on some stuff. Love mm-hmm. what BIPOC adoptees is doing. So if you're involved, I know it's going to be great. I think it's going to be really, really cool. Yeah. I've never seen something like the BIPOC adoptees. I've never seen something I think that's ongoing because there's the docu yeah. series. There's always, mm-hmm. you know, something is made. Yay. But she seems it wants to be an ongoing educational aspect of it. And then yeah. the community that she's trying to grow from it right now, Discord. I don't know how mm. to use Discord, but the idea Ugh, of like me neither. being able to connect with people virtually, but also try to do things in person and then just keep just keep meeting and keep creating spaces, keep talking, like keep building these relationships. But you know, we're all like adults like all over the place. And then you mm-hmm. have to like schedule in your times to talk to people. Um, but it's it's I think it's gonna be sustainable because it's all around community building, relationships and kind of just exploration and being your, your best self with other people. Yeah. yeah that's awesome. I'm excited for um, it. Annika, where but we're gonna we're gonna cut to a to a food which I'm excited to get to. But before <laughs> we do that, uh, if people vibe with you, um, if you're like, oh man, Annika, I want to talk to her more. I want to hire her for work. I want to whatever it is. Where can where can people find <laughs> you and and connect? I with feel you. you. <laughs> um, I'm mostly. You can find me on Instagram. My first name Annika A N I C A F underscore J. Um, I guess you can probably find my TikTok through that, but. Um, I'm public like I the way I approach Instagram also changed during um, mm. Black Lives Matter so I mean I don't you can stop me and figure it out but it's a very self-reflective <laughs> space for me sure because <laughs> um, yeah. wow like the way people the way people came at each other when it in regards to how they posted on social media in 2020 I was like I didn't feel pressured by it but I was like I know I don't want my platform even if it's just a few people to be you know just to show I mean I want to show joy in myself but also I think I wanted to use it as a space to process Um, so Mm -hmm. I think my Instagram is a very self-reflective space um and it's public so you can learn a lot about me if you want to learn more Perfect. All right. Um, well, we'll have that linked in the show notes, uh, but that's Annika F underscore J on Instagram and maybe on TikTok if you're feeling it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we're going to take around. a break. <laughs> yeah, that, there is that. Uh, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to jump into a snack, I think. I never know yeah. with these things. Here we go. Yeah. All right. We go. They're good. I am not actually going to translate any of this. <laughs> Welcome back to the John Chi Show. Time to eat. Um, we just had a great interview <laughs> with Annika Falcone Youngert. 
thank you so much for uh for all of that and uh and now we we shall snack and uh i'm excited because it is a snack that it says product of china and so that's one of the things that we did say that we wanted to try and branch out away from the korean snacks i joke every time that i'm running out of korean snacks to buy too but um, but I always see like these really good looking snacks and I go, Oh, I want to get that. And then it goes product of Taiwan or product of China. And I was like, Oh, well, we're trying to keep it to Korean. But now, but now it deserves to be on our it show. It deserves I'm to be on this for you because it says <laughs> product of China. Yeah. Yeah. I'm furious that you said that. <laughs> and as, as Google Translate told me, Chifamba, which means hopefully, let's eat. I don't know. That's me listening to Google Translate say it. So come out. I like that. Chinese. Take I off like the that. stickers like, made in China. Yeah, like, I know. Right? I can put them on me. <laughs> we, we said things like that too with those made in Korea stickers. Oh, we need to have like a, a whole line of stickers. shirts that just says yeah, best before July 8th, 2023. Yeah, we're good. Uh, so we're good still. Of course, I can't read any uh, Hangul and I definitely can't read any Mandarin. So the English on the back of this Lay's potato chip says lemon, hot, and sour. and Artificial chicken, chicken foot flavor. Chicken foot flavor. Yeah. Chicken feet are good. I know. Hey. And it's lemon, hot, and sour. So, I don't know. Lemon, hot, and sour. Okay. It looks like it's spicy because on the front of the, the thing, it's just these wavy chips that have these giant, like, chili peppers flying out of it. A lot of lemon. spicy, though. A lot of lemon, not very much lemon. Spice. That's what you're getting, lemon forward. I don't know if I like it, and I like chips. Ooh, I like the smell. I mean, it's. I can't tell. What? Too much lemon. What? Not enough balance in the in the what heat. What just happened? It just, yeah, I was saying the first plain chip. Plain chip is like okay. very it's little. There's like a hint of lemon for me. But yeah, then yeah. Plain chip. I just feel like I'm only tasting lemon and just chip. I tasted it. Not lemon, a good balance of this And I hot. smelled chicken broth? <laughs> <laughs> chicken feet? <laughs> no, just chicken, chicken broth. I mean, maybe chicken It smells feet, like faint barbecue broth. to me. Yeah. yeah, it kind of has a little barbecue ish like, hint to it. Yeah, but I can only taste the lemon. That's yeah. it. There's a little bit of spice. And a little sour. I can see where they get the sour. It's just the vinegar. I mean, a lemon is sour, so that makes sense. <laughs> It's definitely a lot milder than I expected it from the front with yeah. all the, the chilies flying out of the, the photo. They really built it up. Yeah. I like the package, though. It's very modern. Yeah. It's Lay's. <laughs> Clearly a Lay's snack. Thank you. Hmm. You know, I mean, not the more I it. eat, though, the yeah. more I eat, though, the more I'm enjoying it. It's definitely not bad. I, I want to complain more, definitely but... definitely not the, bad. The third one has been okay. That was okay. That's funny. I mean, it is making me want gonna, water. This is going to mm. cause con- controversy, Daddy, but I actually like it. Water. <laughs> I'm going to say I like it better than shrimp chips. Really? What? what? Yep. Sorry. Wow. All right. I mean, that was the, show is, the show is over. That's controversy. <laughs> Sorry. Show is over. See you never. How dare you? I'm more of a spicy guy. And I I do love lemon, so how dare you? That's fair. I don't love lemon in this really? context. Yeah. Okay so it. like this or like lemon pepper, I'm not really big on. Mm. Um, I like lemon pepper on yeah. like a dry rub. A dry rub lemon I like, pepper. 
lemon zest on things mm -hmm. like lemon juice and zest on like a salmon or veggies or something like that all right but top three things that you like lemon zest on go uh lemons lemons <laughs> No veggies, fish. Uh, I probably cheesecake. use it in like a chicken, maybe a cheesecake. Yeah, I don't know. No. I mostly just use it on veggies yeah. and fish. Yeah, put a little lemon zest in a cheesecake recipe. Great. I freaking suck at cooking <laughs> <laughs> or baking. I guess if we're talking cheesecakes, cheesecakes are hard. hard. Anyways, back I to was, this. Uh, I was raised on lemon pepper. I'll just put this <laughs> right there. Okay. So. Is that? Not really, my 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 dad put it on everything. So <laughs> hamburgers, steaks, yeah, really. Um, so I love lemon, but all right, Nathan, what do you what do you rate these chippies? How many lemons? I could say I. I'm digging the flavor. <laughs> I actually wish it was a little a tad spicier. Flavor. I wish it was spicier. I, just, I, I wish, wish it was a tad spicier, spicier well. so I'm gonna give it a four out of five. Oh, wow, that's high. It's still yeah. high. That's pretty high. It's still pretty high, but I I, yeah. uh, I like the flavor. It doesn't have any... Nothing sticks out to me as like, oh, this is weird, or this doesn't fit, or whatever. Only thing is, I just wish it was a little spicier, but I like the lemon. I like the, the little bit of a kick. The oh, crunch. you got a pepper. Yeah, this is like a different... What? I didn't get that. Oh, well, there is a pepper in there. They didn't lie. Let me see. It's an actual pepper. Oh, it's significantly spicier. Oh, yeah, yeah that's going to be spicy. Oh, bro, I didn't get a pepper. It's in there, I think. Oh, it's the whole thing. That was definitely bottom. a pepper skin. Yep. Wow. Okay. Undo the ratings. Redo the ratings. Okay. Mm, I want more of that. That was still for eating a pepper directly. That wasn't too spicy. It's got a kick. I want more of that. I want more of that in the chip. I just ate that it. Sense. If they can like something. shred yeah, that yeah, up yeah. a little more and then put it inside the chip. <laughs> it's like they threw one, threw it in there, one in each bag. It's just like, all right, shake it up. It'll get a exactly. little bit of pepper on there. <laughs> it's like when you go to Olive Garden and they That's only give you three olives. <laughs> Come on, you're Olive Garden. Olive Garden, it's in your name. Don't give me just three. Well, um, so, Are you sticking with four out of five? Yeah, I'm sticking with four out of five. It's not That, that right. little pepper in there was a nice little cherry on top, but it's not going to change my rating. Not gonna change the rating, so it's a pretty crappy cherry if you ask Nathan. <laughs> All right, uh, Annika, how many chips do you give this out of five? I'll give it a two. I wanted to give it a two point five to be nicer because Nathan rated it so high. But then I tried wow. the freaking. What's different? It's okay. I tried the the pepper thing and it didn't taste like anything. Mm. Yeah. So. All right. Strong palate. Yeah, no, I like it. Strong palate. Do you eat a lot of spicy food at uh, home or? Um, I started eating more spicy over the past few years. Um, so I I don't know when someone says it's spicy, I'm like I don't know what that means. Um, because everyone's mm. levels are so different. They're like that's different. very true, mm -hmm. very very true. I know some mm. people think pepper is spicy. Yeah. Yeah. Two <laughs> out of five. <laughs> okay. Hey, I'm giving it there a it two point five out of five. Uh, I feel like it's a very oh. mid chip. Um, I would like a little bit more spice. Um, yeah, maybe the spice. Uh, too much lemon. I've been saying that a lot, but I'm gonna keep saying it. Too much lemon. Too much um, lemon. if if life hands you lemons, overall chip okay. can put it on like chips. Chip texture and and structure is good. Chip form, good good chip form. But yeah, the quality everything else, quality chip. 
Yes. <laughs> uh, if I if somebody were to ask me what brand of chip do you think this is, I would say Lay's. <laughs> so <laughs> that's how I know brand consistency with the chip. There we go. Uh, but everything else mid. So two point five. Uh, yeah, I I would agree. I think two and a half is about where I'm at. I think it's a good chip. Uh, I don't love the lemon. It's not too much lemon, but I don't love it. It's an inconsistent bite. Uh, which I don't mm. like. Sometimes I felt like I got more like barbecuey flavor. Mostly it was lemon. There was just like the idea of chicken, I guess. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot that was even supposed to be a part yeah, of it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there wasn't it wasn't much like chicken uh, feet in mine. It's Maybe nice there's an idea. actual chicken foot in mine. <laughs> um, the pepper, yeah, it was like this is so processed. Why couldn't you just process it better? Like, um, so yeah, I think two and a half is is good. Like I don't. It's not as bad as I thought it was originally. Like, I could eat the bag Agreed. and be, like, pretty happy with it. It definitely doesn't beat shrimp trips. I don't know where you get off, Nathan. Sorry. Go back. I don't know take. what I rated shrimp chips, but I bet it was about a three. Mm. Man, that... You know what? You're about a three. Uh, <laughs> Whoa! Out of, oh. out of three. Out of three. Nope. Oh, there All we right. go. What? <laughs> I'm not here for that. I'm not here for that level of cheese. Yeah. You know what I'm going to do the next episode? I'm going to rig up my own soundboard. We're going to have competing soundboards. <laughs> oh, I'm, not, I'm here for that. <laughs> I'm going to upload um, a bunch um, more sounds. What? <laughs> Come over well, here. Well, Annika, thank you so much for <laughs> hanging out with us, for trying this Chinese Lay's product, and most importantly, for telling your story and for being uh, just so open and, uh, mm-hmm. and a wonderful guest. Um, one more time for the folks at home. Where can people find you on the Intergrams? On the Intergrams, on Instagram, um, Annika F underscore J. Annika is A N I C A F underscore J. That's where you can find me. <laughs> on the Intergrams, and also, what's your Enneagram? No. Oh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, some of my friends are really into that. Oh, really? But I actually don't know mine. <laughs> so, I don't know mine either, and I feel like not have it. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. like, I don't know mine either. <laughs> Christians got like super into the enneagram, and I was like, "Oh, really? Uh, really? Oh, yeah, just like they were like very horny for the enneagram." And I was like, "I don't I'm even know what you guys are talking about." It's a personality class <laughs> from like the seventies yeah, yeah. or something. Oh, got, like, oh, you mean like? No I think it's a pretty. It's pretty old, and then it like I don't know if it no got way. like rebranded or whatever, but it resurfaced and. I don't know. You're don't talking about the personality it. traits, like the INFJ, that stuff? No, no, no. That's Miami. a different it's, one. Okay. Yeah, it's a it's similar not, but different. Similar. Not but Myers Briggs, but it's the same concept. Same, same, but different. Same, you know how like different. the disc and Myers Briggs <laughs> yeah. and Strengths Finders okay. and all of it, BuzzFeed, all of BuzzFeed, it's all the same. All of BuzzFeed. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Anyways, uh, no, you can, if you want to hang out with us and ask us what our Enneagrams are, uh, you can do so at John T Show uh, on all the social platforms. You can send us an email to Show at gmail.com. Leave us a voicemail. Tell us what your Enneagram is at 972-677-8867. Uh, if you head to, over to johntyshow.com slash support, you can find all the ways to support the show. Um, hang out with Nathan on the Facebook after party. <laughs> hang out with me on uh, the Johnchi Show subreddit. And I think that is it. You can find me at KJ Relke, wherever I want to be found on the internet. You can find me at Walk <laughs> on Instagram. I was just going to stare into the camera until you went. <laughs> until I talked. I was not go. <laughs> that, that was like a staring contest. Who was going to go next? <laughs> <laughs> and you can find me at Patrick in the World, wherever I want to be found on the Instagrams. 
Annika, thank you so much again for sharing. And I forgot I'm controlling the soundboard. So yep. for everybody out there listening, until next time, John Chi. John Chi. Hey-o. Hey-o.